Thank you, Ernie, and thank you, Luke. I told Harold that I was uh, introducing him this morning, and uh, Harold was uh, a student here at Bear Valley School of Preaching, and uh, I'll read you the, uh, the notes on the cheat sheet, and uh, then I'll just uh, note a little bit more. Harold's been working with the Snellville congregation since 1991 before coming to Snellville. He served as the pulpit minister for the Andrews Avenue Church of Christ in Fort Lauderdale, Florida for seven years. Harold received a Bachelor of Arts degree in Bible from the Palm Beach Atlantic College in 1981. His wife Kay graduated from Har Freed Hardeman University with a degree in music. They graduate from the Bear Valley School of Preaching. Remember, we've undergone a lot of name changes, but that's the original name. Bear Valley School of Preaching in Denver, Colorado in 1984. Harold and Kay have two children, Larry and Michelle, and three grandchildren. Harold began serving as an elder at Snowville on February 24, 2020. And uh, that last notation is something I did not know and congratulations in being one of the elders of the congregation from a fellow elder in the congregation. And uh, it is a, certainly a, a worthy position and a worthy cause. And, and uh, you will do well in that position. Barbara Ann, and not everybody's known my wife as Barbara Ann. She just was known earlier just as Barbara. And uh, when we moved to Longmont, we went by Barbara Ann because there was another Barbara in the congregation and every time somebody said Barbara, they both turned at the same time. So Barbara Ann and I were coming back from Italy and we were flying into Miami. Now I don't know if Harold remembers this or not. And uh, as we were flying into Miami, it was a brand new airport to us and we'd just been overseas and it was a transatlantic flight and we were a little bit tired and we knew that Harold was going to pick us up. And so as we came into, into the area where everybody was located, Harold and a fellow by the name of Rick Walker were standing at the back. And as they were standing at the back, I didn't see them. But they both said at the same time, Uncle Dave, Uncle Dave. And it wasn't embarrassing because it was so typical, you know. <laughs> but I thought it was funny, and obviously it made an impact on me because I've remembered all these years of those two guys, those two characters doing that to me. But Harold is, uh, it was, I mean, while he and, and he had a good class that he was in while he was here, and uh, they were just really uh, wonderful people to be around, and Harold especially. I remember a, a time when Harold was preaching up in the mountains and had an audience and some guys drove by in a car and said something uh, about, just hollered something out and you said, hey, come on down, you know, it was just so natural. And uh, Harold is, uh, is, I wouldn't ever call Harold sophisticated, but Harold is, a <laughs> Harold is just one of those people that I admire so much and love and uh, he's just a, a, a great Christian a teacher and a student of the word. And so we're so pleased to have Harold here with us. And so Harold, come and 
Preach the word. Thank you, Dave. Never been called sophisticated. I appreciate you not calling me that this morning. Starting at all. Listen, y'all, look at y'all. I really appreciate you coming out at the 8 o'clock hour. This is the hilltop over the, the mansion over the hilltop group right here, man. You, if you need to get up and get some coffee, feel free. It's, uh, it's only going to be 40 minutes. I see someone filming me already. It's, it's okay. It happens all the time. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> Y'all, I, lo I love this congregation. I love this school. The, the people in this school, the instructors like Dave and his wife, Barbara, um, they, they just left an impact uh, on my life, an imprint on my life. And for those new students, they will you too. You'll love them. You'll, they'll be your instructors and they'll become your friends. They're your brothers in Christ. And uh, I just love them. I don't want to get too emotional. I notice the older I get, the more emotional I get. And so I don't want to get real emotional. But I do want to go back just a little bit. It has something to do with my lesson. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read just a few minutes some verses, but uh, we arrived in 1982. Kay and I, who's sitting right here on about the fourth row, we had been married about a week. That's all. We still had just married written on the back of our car. In fact, we had to go buy a bed. <laughs> One of the most embarrassing moments of my life was buying a bed at J.C. Penney driving it back strapped to the roof of the car with just married still written on my car. <laughs> now you can't, you, you can't drive fast with a bed on your car and just married because it's going to fly off. And people were stopping and, you know, like yelling stuff out the window, you know. And finally I turned over to Kay and I said, listen, man, can I wash this off the car? She said, absolutely, do it the first thing we get home. So... But I tell you that to say, I was also not only newly married, I was a new Christian. I arrived here um, having been baptized a few months before. You heard in the resume, um, I, uh, I have a bachelor's degree in Bible. I have a minor in criminal law as a police officer in the city of West Palm for several years. And I left that and I went back to college. And so I, I wanted to do something different. And I really felt a calling in my life to, to preach and to teach. I love the Bible and I, I knew a little bit about the Bible, but I really needed to be taught more perfectly. And I met Kay, and one of the first dates we ever had was at a gospel meeting. Um, she didn't want to go to dinner with me, and she said, but if you want to come to a gospel meeting, you can come to a gospel meeting. I thought, okay, I don't know what that is, but I'll go to a gospel meeting with you. So our first date was at a, at a meeting. It was actually a three-day seminar and, uh, that was done and, um, and I really, really liked it because it was all about the Bible. And the preacher at that, the Church of Christ there in West Palm Beach, his name was Mark Swindoll. His name still is Mark Swindoll. And he's a massive guy. He's a big old guy. I'm 6'3". I'm well, I used to be 6'3". I'm about 6'2 now. But, um, but I have to look up to Mark. Mark's about 6'8". And Mark came up to me. Mark is a graduate of this school and Mark came up to me and said, I heard you like to study the Bible. Would you like to study the Bible with me? And um, you, you don't argue with a 6'8 guy <laughs> saying you want to study the Bible. I said, hey, I'd love to study. But we went to lunch together. I was working at a denominational church with a youth, and they didn't like the fact that I was meeting with a preacher from the Church of Christ. And ironically, 
the people at his congregation didn't like the fact that he was meeting with a denominational youth minister across town. He got some criticism about that. What they didn't know is that when we ate lunch together, we brought our Bibles and we were studying the Bible. The whole time we were studying the Bible, Mark was teaching me. I was baptized on a Sunday night. I couldn't be there for the service because I had resigned from the congregation I was working at. I was leaving all of that behind. I was becoming a New Testament Christian, and I wanted some things out of the way when I was buried with him and raised to walk in newness of life. I wanted all that behind me as I started a new life in Christ. And Mark said, hey, Harold's going to come. He's going to get baptized tonight. And long after the service was over, I showed up. And those people in that congregation were still there. They were still singing, waiting for me to be baptized. Never forget that. When I arrived at Bear Valley with just married on the back of my car, I still had a lot of things I was working out. I was redeemed, I was forgiven, I was a child of God, I was part of the, the church of Christ, but I had left the denominational world. I did not grow up in the church. Uh, my dad is not a Christian. My uh, mom would drop us off at places and drive away. I didn't grow up maybe like some of you grew up, and so I was still working out some stuff when I arrived here. But I wasn't the only one that was still working out stuff when I arrived here because there were other guys in this, uh, in this group that uh, they were growing pot in their attic. And um, they uh, had listened to someone teach the Bible. They decided to become Christians. They burned all the pot in their attic. They came here. I was in class with some of those guys. They knew how to partay. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is let's not be so hard on the Corinthian church because we were them. Sometimes we like to look at these verses from the Apostle Paul's point of view, not from their point of view, because these were people, remember Paul said, and such were some of you. You are a ragtag group of people. You are really messed up, but you came to Christ, and he has been real patient with him. You can see that his, his patience is kind of wearing here in, in the verses that I'm going to read in a few minutes. But remember who's writing to him. He was a terrorist. He was someone that persecuted the church. He himself knew what it was like to be redeemed and forgiven, who was traveling on a, a path that was leading away from God, and now he was on the road that was leading to heaven, that heaven was his home, and how wonderful that would be. This, that's who's writing to them. Now, he's writing, of course, by inspiration, but as you've heard, by the way, Dan Owen, why do they, why do they let Dan Owen open up everything? <laughs> You know, Dan Owen, he, he did everybody's lesson for him in one night on the first lesson. So it, it, refer to his lesson, read it in the book, and, um, and it's, it was a good one. That's, uh, that, that's all you can say about Dan, who's wonderful and awesome. But, but they would come now because of the divisions in the church that have always been, uh, have already been mentioned several times, that uh, these divisions uh, in the church, part of uh, what they were doing, was totally out of selfishness. They were making it all about them. We live in a, in a world that's all about us, don't we? I read not long ago that more people a couple of years ago died by selfie than by shark attacks. Let that sink in a minute. More people died taking selfies, uh, you know, taking pictures of themselves than attacked by sharks in ocean. Um, we, we are all about ourselves. And the church at Corinth, the church today, isn't a whole lot different because we always want to make things about ourselves. 
And that's what they had done. Because that's what was causing division in the church. They had made it about themselves. They made the Lord's Supper about themselves. And you'll see people even today, even taking the verses out of context that I'm going to read in a few minutes, they make it about themselves. It's not about us. It's about him. It's always been about him. And he brings us back to that. And this ragtag group of people that like to party, by the way, they had overdone it. And Paul calls them on it, and he reminds them, listen, this is why you're here. This is the reason for the Lord's Supper. So there's some abuses. And then, of course, there is the divine, the divine plan. Um, some of the first Lord's Suppers as a Christian that I uh, would um, participate in were in this building. They were led by Dave Chamberlain. They, um, I started preaching for a church in downtown Atlanta, and I also uh, preached for a church out toward the Lyman area. Uh, I wanted to preach, and I wanted the experience, and Kay and I would drive, and even in those, some of those farmers would get up. I remember one time this farmer getting up, missing one of his hands, standing at the table, talking about what the death of Christ meant to him. It was just powerful to me. But I was still working out some things. I need to always be reminded, and still need to be reminded today, of how precious, how wonderful the Lord's Supper is and what it is, the meaning of it and the power of it uh, even in our life. So let's do this real quick. All right, let's read 1 Corinthians. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 11. And I just want to read 17. I'll, I'll read 17 through like 22 to begin with. Now, giving this instruction to you, I, I do not praise you because you come together not for better but for worse. I'll talk about this in a minute. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear the divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you in order that those who are approved may become evident among you. There were divisions, and there shouldn't have been divisions, but there were factions because there were some that were going to be true Christians, and they were going to stand up for the truth, and uh, it would be evident among those. Therefore, when you meet together, uh, do not eat the, uh, uh, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating it, each one takes his own supper first when he's hungry and then another is drunk. I love what Paul says here. What? Do you, not, do you not have houses in which you can eat or drink, or do you not despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? I'll explain that in a minute. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. He says it three times. I'm not going to praise you. You came together and you made things worse. You really can't, you know, we think, well, hey, at least, at least they came together. Paul says, you guys got together and you made it worse. You didn't make it better. And so you made it about yourself, and, and here's, here's now what you need to do. So, so th this abuse obviously uh, came out of the fact that they were eating together. And after that dinner, when it would come, uh, in the book of Jude, it would call it a love feast, but they would have a dinner together, and they would enjoy this dinner together. And because of the classes of people, there were some that were wealthy, and there were some that were poor, some got more than others. Some came later than others. Notice even what he says. Jesus talked about a little bit of common sense and manners. In verse 33 of that chapter, he says, And so then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. It's polite, by the way, when you sit down at the dinner table, isn't it, that you wait on somebody else to come sit down and eat. Isn't that a polite thing? Didn't your parents teach you that? Appreciate y'all waiting on me this morning, by the way. At breakfast, I'm just kidding about that. 
So they would come together and they would eat, but remember who they were. Remember the background they're coming from. Remember these are a group of pagans that have come from a really rough place and when they get together and they're eating, they're eating too much and they're drinking too much. And the wealthy, obviously, were getting a little bit more than the poor because of the class system. And there's this conversation that needs to take, they're not one, they're divided. And because of these problems and this, uh, this division in this situation, Paul says, hey, listen, this isn't about you. You're making things worse. You're not making things better. And so you need to pay attention to what you're doing. I'm going to explain to you what the Lord's Supper is all about. You're missing the whole point. Your conduct um, is, uh, is not reflective of, of the Spirit of Christ. And so here's some things that you need uh, to do. Paul can't, I love that, he can't praise them. Now before I move on from this, I, I want to just say two things real quick. One, one is, is that what you believe affects what you behave, how you behave. Always has, always will. Uh, the, the Bible says that we don't have the Spirit of Christ, we don't have Him. We need to have the Spirit of Christ. Isn't that right? The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the self-control. But it also says if you don't have the doctrines of Christ, you don't have Him. So people say, well, we need to have the Spirit of Christ, but nah, you got to have both. you got to have the doctrines of Christ and the Spirit of Christ, so when you teach the doctrine of Christ, you'll teach it in love with the Spirit of Christ. And so, so what we believe affects how we behave. The doctrine that I believe, the, the Bible that I study, that which I've invested my life in, it not only means something in the pulpit, it means something in my marriage, it means something with my children, it means something that I'm the same person up here that I am in the backyard throwing the football with my son. What we believe affects how we behave. And this is, this is part of their problem, is they, they say they believe it, but they're not behaving like they believe it. Always has always will. Secondly, um, at the heart of their issue, and I've already said this, it was selfishness. They, they made it all about them, and I think for all of us, we do that. We have a tendency to do that. We make it about, about ourselves. We, Kay and I own some property. Many years ago, we bought it. It was really out of desperation. I was living in church-owned homes, and I could see that we were going to come to the end of our life and not have a place to live, and so we bought some land in a, a, a town called Blairsville, Georgia, and uh, it turned out to be a, a, actually a pretty good investment, but it was a long, long time ago that we did this. But Blairsville, even in this small town, the newspaper, it's all about them. When Eric Rudolph was captured, remember Eric Rudolph who uh, bomb, uh, set a bomb off at the Olympics? When Eric Rudolph was captured, the Blairsville newspaper, the newspaper uh, said, Eric Rudolph captured 19 miles from Blairsville. <laughs> it wouldn't even say that he was captured in Murphy, North Carolina. He was captured in another state. He wasn't even captured in the state of Georgia. And yet they wouldn't say that. It was all about how they perceived it from themselves. And that's how, what we do. How's this going to affect me? Now, I love the Lord's Supper. And I tell you, uh, one of the things we've done at our congregation is, and this has helped me tremendously in a lot of ways, is I preach first, and then we have the Lord's Supper. We don't do the Lord's Supper, and I preach. And two things have happened out of that that I think have been really, really super, and that is, one is, I'm concentrating on the Lord's Supper when it's taken, not on my sermon. That's just, I'm just being honest about that. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say, how I'm going to say it, and, and all that stuff. And the second thing is, when someone's baptized and they come out, we all take the Lord's Supper together, and they're sitting down with us. It's such a beautiful thing. 
And another thing, and this is totally selfish on my part, is that when people complain that the service went too long, normally I could say, hey, it was the Lord's Supper people, it wasn't me, you know. <laughs> Think about that. So, so, Paul says, hey, stop making it about you, it's all about him. So then you come to the passages that are read almost every Sunday, or should be read almost every Sunday, when we meet around the table, and this is what Paul said, I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night which he was betrayed, took bread, he took, gave a thanks, he broke it, said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup, new covenant, my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I want to stop there just for a minute and say that he said this isn't about you, it's about him. It's always about him. The Lord's Supper is not your idea, it's not my idea. By the way, it's not the Apostle Paul's idea. This was the Lord's idea. When he instituted the Lord's Supper, you remember what he was doing? really can't criticize the early church for eating and having the Lord's Supper because remember what Jesus was doing when he instituted the Lord's Supper? They were celebrating the Passover dinner. And he took that Passover dinner, these, the same emblems that were used, the unleavened bread and the, the, the wine or the fruit of the vine, he took those same emblems off that table and he used them, not about an old covenant, but a new covenant, and he used the idea of an escape from Egypt, the exodus that we know so well, uh, those Israelites being oppressed for 400 years, finally being because of the blood of the lamb being spilt on those doorposts, because they were now able to leave and there was an exodus from there, they were celebrating this wonderful meal. And Jesus, at that meal, he took those emblems, this, this bread, this unleavened bread. By the way, why was it unleavened? Well... They were having to get out of town. Remember, leaven, you've got to let leaven sit in something, and it has to stay there for a while in order to build up. Well, Israelites had to get out of town, man. They had to leave. So the bread was unleavened because they didn't put any leaven in it. They made bread without the leaven. Also, we know from the Bible, leaven is used as the idea of sin. A little bit of leaven um, leavens the whole lump. So there's this unleavened bread that Jesus takes. Remember, he has not died yet. He hasn't hung on a cross. He hasn't been beat. He has not... He hasn't had a crown thorns of thorns put on his head. He's going to take these emblems, and he's going to talk about the greatest sacrifice of all time. And so he would uh, hand these out. Uh, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper, and uh, it was God's idea. It was Jesus' idea. It, it always has been. It is something that links all of us together. When I came here as a New Testament Christian, I already had something in common with uh, Barbara and Dave and all of the other Christians that I would meet in this place that we celebrated something together we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus I read uh, and maybe you saw last week there were so many stories in the anniversary of 9-11 but I read a story about these two guys they met in the stairwell of one of those towers that came down in New York and one of them uh, had worked for this financial uh, industry there and he was actually on the 40th floor of one of those towers eating breakfast, and he got an alert on his phone that said, go back to your office. He went from the 40th floor to the 80th floor, worst thing he could have ever done. And as soon as he got upstairs, the second plane hit, and when it did, it hit 
the tower he was in, and it literally disintegrated everything above him, and he hit the ground, and he had a piece of that airplane in his chest, and, uh, and it, he and another man, when they stood up, because they hit the ground, which was fortunate for them, when they stood up, everyone was dead. Everyone was gone in that building except them. They went to the stairwell uh, on that floor. They went to the stairwell, and they started to make their way down. Now, 80 floors. They got to about floor 70, and other people were coming down, and this guy sat down on the steps. He knew he wasn't going to make it. This guy coming down who worked even above him, coming down that stairwell, stopped and said, man, you're, you're injured. You're not going to make it. He goes, I, I know I'm not going to make it. I, he's, I, there's no way I'm going to make it down these, these floors. And this guy said, here's what I'm going to do. I, you're going to put your arm around me, and I'm going to help you down these flights of stairs. You're going to get out of here. We're, we're, we're going to make it. And he said, no, we're not. He said, yes, we are. And this guy helped him. They had no idea who each other were before this day. They had different color of skin, come from different backgrounds, had different jobs in that building, had no idea who each other were, and they helped each other, well, really, one helped another down that building. They made it outside, and when they got outside that building, he, uh, he said, listen, you need to go right to the hospital. They had an ambulance sitting there. He said, you need to get out of there. That man turned to him, and he said, you have saved my life. I will never forget what you have done for me. I will never, ever forget what you have done for me. And he said, tell me your name. And he said, this is my name. And he said, I didn't do anything that I knew you probably would have done for me. And so he left in the ambulance. And the story is such a beautiful story because every month these guys would meet for coffee and they would get together for breakfast. They would meet they, their kids were small at the time, and as they grew up, they went to each other's weddings, uh, the kids' weddings. They, they have been friends. One of them moved to another state. They fly to see each other. They're, they have something in common. Something binds them. It, has, it, it keeps them together. They survived something so unbelievable that they will always be linked by that day, linked by that moment, and they love each other because of that how we need that power even greater during the Lord's Supper. We are linked by the ultimate sacrifice that God redeemed us, that you and I were bound for a place called hell, and because of what he did at the cross of Calvary, you and I have now a place in heaven. Redeemed, how I love to say, oh, listen, we, we, it doesn't get any better than that. We, we are so grateful, we are so thankful, and we are bound together because of that. We ought to have, I wish we would have more of that during the Lord's Supper, that we would know that not only is it his idea, this is what he wants us to do, but it's his sacrifice that binds us together. It's not what we've done, it's what he has done. Secondly, the Lord's Supper is a, a proclamation. We're proclaiming something, we're saying something. And so every Sunday when we when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're saying something. We're teaching something to people. We're not just reminding. We're also teaching a lost community that comes to visit our building. You are proclaiming something. We're proclaiming the death and the value of his death. But secondly, do you remember what I read? We're also proclaiming it until what? Till he comes. That's exactly right. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're also reminding everyone he's coming back. He's coming back. He, he's coming for us one day. 
I really wish we'd have this kind of urgency during the Lord's Supper, and even for me and for the people I preach for, we don't have this kind of urgency that he's coming back. This could be the last day. Think about that. If he doesn't come back, we'll die. You know, if we're alive when he comes back, hallelujah, chances are we're going to be gone. We're going we're to be in Christ. Certainly we're going to see him. To be absent from this body is to be in his presence. But what if... This Sunday, what if tomorrow were the last Lord's Supper that you were going to participate in? We're staying with our daughter in Castle Rock and our two grandchildren. One of them is named Malone, the other one is Reed, but we call him Raccoon because he eats off of everybody's plate and he stores food in his room and then he goes to the neighbors and gets food from them. We don't know what's going on with this kid. And, um, and so when we fly away... Uh, we don't know if we'll see him again. I'd hate for the last thing I say to him is, clean up your room. The last thing I say to my daughter, you know, is, you know, is, this room could really use some sprucing up. <laughs> you know, those meals were okay, a little burnt, but you know what I'm going to say? And I love you. I'm proud of you. You're doing a good job as a mom. If the last thing I'm going to say to her, y'all, if, if this were the last Lord's Supper, would we be scrolling through Facebook? Would we be texting someone across the building to say, where do you want to go for lunch? Would we be writing out a grocery list? Or would we be thinking about what he did for us and how he's redeemed us? And so I think there needs to be a little bit more in that, that that he's coming back. So we, we make this proclamation, we're saying something, we're teaching something about, about his death, and we're teaching something about, um, about his return. And then it's communal. It's, it, it, people have said this several times now in the lectureship. I, I won't beat this up. I have only 14 minutes left. And um, <laughs> y'all will be happy to hear that. And I uh, just wanted to warn you about that. And uh, but this is communal. It's sharing. It's, it, we're sharing together with fellowship and the blood of Christ. Uh, we're, we're truly family. You, some of you may not know me, and, and um, you, you don't know who I am or my wife or, or whatever. It's, it's so funny how, though, this links us. We can travel to other places. People in this building will tell you this. Brother Stewart, who I didn't know had passed away until I came to this lectureship, um, traveled the world, and everywhere he went, and he helped people in, in teaching and, and preaching and other people that have traveled. You can go to another place, and even though they speak a different language and they're part of the body of Christ, when you sit down at the table, you're together as a family. Man, you're brothers and sisters in Christ. This is communal. It's something that we do. We share in something. We participate in something that has to do with fellowship or sharing, and it's we're sharing in the blood of Christ, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. And then also the Lord's Supper is observed with reverence. The latter part of this is, is certainly true, sometimes taken out of, of context. Therefore, whoever eats, uh, eats and drinks of the cup of the Lord is un, uh, in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. Let a man examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if he eats and drinks, drinks judgment upon himself. If he does, uh, not judge the body rightly. And for this reason, many among you are weak and they're sick, and number sleep, they're dead. Um, and if it be judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. 
And when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And if anyone's hungry, let them eat at home so that you may not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I'll arrange when I come. And so um, what they're talking about is the manner in which you take the Lord's Supper, a worthy manner. That's what they're talking about. Certainly the implements themselves, the, the idea of the Lord's Supper, the reason for the Lord's Supper, the, 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 the whole import behind the Lord's Supper is at the heart of it. Christ, his sacrifice, his death, what he did on the cross, all of those, all of those things. But we do it in a reverent, a, a worthy manner. I've had people say to me, hey, listen, I'm not going to take the Lord's Supper for a while because I'm unworthy. You know what they're doing? They're doing what the Corinthian church did. They're making the Lord's Supper about them instead of about who it's about, and that's him. And so uh, if there's something going on in your life, ask God to forgive you. His blood will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And none of us are worthy. The only thing that makes us worthy is the blood of Christ. None of us are worthy. Don't pass on it. Uh, the, the idea that we need to come together and commune around this table that we share in the body and the blood of Christ, that we're thinking about what he did for us and the sacrifice that he made for us, that he came with me in mind. He had you in mind. When he went to the cross and they put those nails in his hand, he was thinking of you. He had you in mind. And so I don't want to be thinking about anything else. But y'all, this is intentional because there are so many things going on and our mind is like that. We want to think about other things. We want to do this in the right manner. We want to do this in a reverent way as we, as we get together uh, and not just weekly, uh, on a weekly basis, and certainly we do. And so um, this is one of the things that's going to be um, remastered in the church like so many other things. Um, I hear, hey, we're, we're rethinking this. You know, you know I, I said not too long ago from the pulpit, people were, our congregation is one of these, hey, we will wear a mask, don't wear a mask in Atlanta, it's just crazy. I said, don't make a mask, some, you know, the hill to die on, right? <laughs> we had to fly an airplane here. They told us to put on a mask. We put on a mask. As soon as we got the airplane, we took it off. I'm not going to fight that. But what if somebody said, we don't want you to take the Lord's Supper anymore? The health department has deemed that this is really something that churches shouldn't do. We don't, we don't trust the way that you're going to do it. Think about that. We don't trust the way that you're going to do it. So a lot of churches have said, eh, maybe we don't need to do this. Maybe, maybe we'll remove this like we, we've removed other things. I've said several times over the years, I came out of a denominational church into the body of Christ. I love the simplicity of what the Bible teaches and doing what the Bible teaches only to watch the Church of Christ try to become a denomination that I came out of. And so this is one of those things that's going to be talked about. You watch and see. It's already. Already they're saying, man, we got to take it monthly. We'll do it at Christmas. That'll be a time people will be able to celebrate. It says we do this every week, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason that we need to remember this. God knows us just like he knew the Israelites so well. We, get, we forget so easily. Read the story of Josiah and how they find the scripture. The question is, how, how did it get lost? 
how do a bunch of Jews lose what probably was pretty much the, the better part of Deuteronomy? I can tell you this, I, I don't really know the answer to that, but I can tell you it didn't happen overnight. And if you know anything about his grandfather, uh, who was an evil man, then you'll know uh, a little bit about how wayward Israel got. And it led, one thing led to another that led to another, that pretty soon they said, hey, we don't need to do this, we don't need to know the Shema, we don't need to, to hear uh, these things, do these things, remember these things, and pretty soon you've got a whole generation of people that have to find the Scripture to actually repent and start reading it again. Go back and read the story of Jeremiah or, or Josiah. It is the story, remember, of the eight-year-old boy that becomes king uh, of Israel in a time when you would think no one would want this job. What I'm saying is what Nehemiah said to the people in the rebuilding of the wall, fight for your family, fight for your homes. There are some things still worth fighting for. And this is one of them. The Lord's Supper, what it means to us and what it means to a congregation, what it should mean to our community, um, this should mean something to us. It should be at the heart of what we do. So it's instituted by Jesus himself, the Lord's Supper. Um, and I remind you that this, he has not been arrested yet. He's not been beaten. No nails have been driven into his hands. He has not been lifted up. This memorial, it's a reminder of the great sacrifice. Most memorials really really uh, powerful memorials are. The Vietnam Memorial. My dad was a soldier. He was wounded in the European theater. He fought in Korea. They sent him to Vietnam at the age of 45. And he lost a lot of friends in a lot of battles. He was a, a grouchy old guy, I can tell you that. He was a good dad, but he was a grouchy old guy. And we went to the Vietnam, uh, there, there was a traveling memorial, this Vietnam Memorial. They kind of move it around and they brought it to South Florida, and he went. And I've never seen my dad so emotional. All those people that made that sacrifice, if you've ever been to Hawaii, there in Pearl Harbor, where you literally are standing above the sailors who sacrificed their life in the defense of this country. Memorials that have to do with sacrifice pale in comparison to the memorial that we take every Lord's Day that we call the Lord's Supper. And it's a proclamation of our faith, the Lord's death until he returns. It's a communion and a sharing of the body of Christ, and it's a fellowship of one another in, uh, in the body of Christ. Um, that's my next lesson. At 10 o'clock, there's going to be a lot of people speaking at 10 o'clock, and they're going to be a lot better than me. Apparently, my time is up. Or the lesson was so good, angels were actually singing. <laughs> I don't know really what's going on. Or somebody needs to take a back pill. <laughs> well, I had a big finale. <laughs> it's been 40 years, 40 years uh, that Kay and I arrived. We lost a baby here. We uh, were blessed to have a son, Larry. He's 35 years old now. I baptized him when he was a teenager. He has a, a daughter. He's married to a wonderful Christian girl. Uh, our daughter is 33 now. She lives in Castle Rock and uh, has two wonderful grandsons. 
they've been out here living in Colorado 10 years in different places, and he's worked for several different organizations. And, and uh, I've been now at the same congregation in Atlanta for, it'll be 30 years in November. Um, what I learned in this school 40 years ago uh, the things that were important to me then are important to me now. That hasn't changed. Um, my, my attitudes about different things have changed. I'm not tight, nervous about as many things as I used to be. Last year, um, about this time, I was in the hospital. I've never been in the hospital in my life. You could look at me and see I'm a picture of perfect health. And I wasn't really expecting laughter there. I didn't have that written in my, didn't have that written in my notes. So I go in the hospital with COVID pneumonia. I'm in the hospital 15 days, and about halfway through that, doctors are standing in my room, they're masked up, and, and they're having this conversation about putting me on a ventilator. And, and my eyes, they swelled up with tears, and the doctor said, hey, I'm not saying we're going to, I'm saying we may do that. And I told Kay, I said, I, I, I was ready to go, I was ready to die, but I wasn't ready to get on that ventilator for some reason. And all I could think about was getting home, seeing Kay again, talking to my kids, seeing my grandkids. But man, did I miss worship. I miss worshiping with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I miss the Lord's Supper. I miss meeting around the table. I, I, I think there are so many things that we take for granted. We don't appreciate them until they're taken away from us. When it was taken away from me, then I thought about it. I was there every Sunday and didn't appreciate it. It's kind of like having a wonderful wife and never saying thank you. You just don't appreciate it until it's taken away. One of my favorite authors, he tells a story about his dad who had cancer in his throat. and They did this therapy, radiation therapy, and it took his ability to taste away. And his dad, he loved to eat, and he would, would just live for, for going out to dinner. And his wife was a great cook. And he said, I'll never forget this. He said, we were sitting around a dinner table, and we're all eating leftovers, and all the kids were complaining about these leftovers. We have to eat this again? And all of a sudden, my dad's taste came back. And he started tasting the old meatloaf and the mashed potatoes. He said it was like a scene from What About Bob, if you remember that movie. Mm-hmm. His dad started groaning and making all kinds. He said it was leftover meatloaf that he was finally appreciating. Folks, don't let it be taken away from you before you appreciate it. Amen. Don't let it leave us before you make it a priority. Love it every Sunday, and it really beyond that because it affects us every day. It's, it's the power of what we believe that will cause us to behave differently. Lord, we thank you for giving us your love, for making the sacrifice for each of us, and even for those that drive by right now, as we hear their cars, they have no idea what we're talking about, but you died for them. You, uh, if they would just give their life to you, you would make a way where there was no way and they would find their way into a heavenly home. They would be our brothers and sisters in Christ and how wonderful that would be. And help us, Lord, with every breath we have, with every, all the strength we have in our body to fight the good fight of faith to the things that are really important, that there are some things worth fighting for, and the things of faith are those things worth fighting for, that we will not, um, 
we will not lose our appreciation of these things or let that appreciation wane because we do it every week. But we will be intentional about how grateful we are for what you did for us that we could not do for ourselves. That you took our place, you were there in our stead, and we will never, ever be able to repay you for that. All we can do is accept it and say thank you. And Lord, help us as we share this wonderful message, the good news of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection with a lost and dying world around us. Help us, Lord, to keep fighting that good fight, to bring more people to the table, bring more people to, uh, into your kingdom. And as you do that, you do that with our help, with our hands and our feet and our mouthpiece, that one day, as Jesus himself said, that we'll enjoy that dinner together in, in a kingdom uh, that will be eternal. What a great day that will be. Help us, Lord, to be there together, to bring others with us. Night's coming when no man can work. Help us not to grow weary in doing good. Help the instructors and the administration of this school, the elders of this congregation, as they have for so long to keep fighting the good fight. They are making a difference and they're changing the world. Bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.